Well, it's good to see all of you. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> I inherited a glaucoma from my dad and macular degeneration from my mother, and then I had my own hemorrhages, and so I don't have a left eye, and my right eye is very dim. I had a hemorrhage about two months ago, again, in the right eye, and so when I look out, it's like everything is in a dark gray fog. And you say, well, why do you have glasses on? Because whatever I see, I want to see clearly. I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old. I'm now 80. By the old math that I learned in school, that's 64 years. That's a long time. I tell my wife and others, sometimes I feel like an old man. She doesn't say it out loud, but I know she's thinking, duh. In John 10.10, the Lord Jesus said, The thief comes, but to rob, destroy, and to kill. But I have come that they might have life more abundantly. What does that mean? When you read through what the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16, we discover that the abundant life is a life full, saturated with the love of God. It's a life full of joy, and it's a life ruled by God's peace. And in the midst of this chaotic world that is decaying right before our eyes. What a wonderful experience that is. To know the love of God so that your life is saturated with his love. To know the joy of the Lord Jesus so that you overflow with joy. And to know peace that absolutely cannot be explained. Because it's so of a different realm than what the world lives in. And yet when you look at other scriptures of what the Lord Jesus said. He said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 14. He said, narrow is the gate. And hard is the way. That leads to life. And those who find it. Are few. Now think of that for a moment. He did not put that in fine print at the end of the contract. 
he said it right up front. Narrow is the gate. Hard is the way that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And then he said in Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 23 and 24. Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. And then this for significant word, whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, the same shall save it. One translator says there is a higher life and there's the lower life. The lower life is the life that we have. And if I want to hold on to my life, do my pleasure, and rule my destiny, at least think I'd rule my destiny, I will lose it. But if I'm willing to do what the Lord Jesus said, I'm willing to lay down my rights, deny myself. I'm willing to take up the cross daily and follow him in obedience and faith. Then I will save my life. These are truths that we don't hear much of in this day and time. And yet they're from the same lips that said he came to give us life abundantly. A life that overflows. And the Lord Jesus said in John the seventh chapter. That rivers of living water would flow out of our inner being. Not a stream, not a trickle, not a drip. But plural in the Greek. Rivers. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, rivers will flow out of him. What I want to share with you as clearly as I can and simply as I can in the next six weeks or the next five weeks are those key lessons that I learned along the way. I wish somebody had taught them to me, but they didn't. And I wanted to follow the Lord Jesus, and I wanted to be able to share with others those truths that make such a difference. I knew there was more than what I was experiencing, and I began to read and read and read and search and search and pray and pray. And little by little, the Lord took me to the right books, and I began to understand This is what God wants from me that I can cooperate with him and know that fullness of love and that fullness of joy and that fullness of peace. And so I began tonight 
with the very first basic lesson. And this has to be settled in our hearts. I was fortunate in that when I was converted at age 16, just a few weeks after that, I had been reading in the scriptures while I kept the boys next door. And I kept reading and I got, they, the, the parents came home and I went next door to my house and I went in. And all I can explain to you is that I got in bed, this 16-year-old boy, and suddenly I knew I was in the presence of God. And I crawled out of my bed. And for the first time in my life, I knelt by my bed and prayed. And I knew I was in God's presence. And what came out of me that night was, Lord, yes, 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 I will be a minister. Because I knew that's what he was pressing to me. Now, some have never known the presence of God like that. But once you have, you can't forget it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Nothing else pleases him. Without faith, we do business with the world by our five senses, taste, touch, sight, hearing, and smell. From babyhood to adulthood, that's how we relate to the world, through the five senses. But relating to God is a different realm altogether. We relate to God whom we cannot see because he's invisible. We relate to him by faith. Sometimes people say, well, I wish that I could see him. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ was God manifest, and they sat right before him, and they still could not believe. Seeing something physically doesn't mean we're going to believe it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. This pleases God, that even though I cannot see him because he is absolutely invisible, and the word says, no man has seen God at any time. It pleases the heart of God that I trust him when I can't see him. Abraham trusted him. He could not see him. David trusted him. He could not see him. That's how God says I can please him, by trusting him. By trusting him. We went through the flood like so many here went through the flood. I wrote down six questions to keep myself focused on what is true because I have to preach the truth to myself. And during the flood, I began to lose my eyesight. One of my diseases kicked in. And then while we were sitting in the 
cardiologist's office to get approval for eye surgery on my left eye, my wife got a phone call. They had found something in her mammogram. And she was going to have to go back. Well, lo and behold, they found that she had a malignant tumor. And she had to have a mastectomy. And then after that, I had another hemorrhage in my other eye. And it was one thing after another. But I want to tell you something. Every time something happened, there was this thought in my mind and my heart. Will you trust me with this? Will you trust me with this? And you see, it is, it is so strong in my soul, written there by the finger of God, that I want to cross the finish line running full speed, which means cross the finish line completely trusting the Lord that I cannot see. Will you trust me with this? And about two months ago, I had another hemorrhage in this eye, the only good eye I've got. It set me back two or three months in my vision. I went to the doctor. He said, you've had another small hemorrhage. And the next morning, I said to the, doc, I said to the Lord in my usual time with him, I said, Lord, I am disappointed And this question quickly came back to my mind. Would you be disappointed with my will? What am I to answer? Would I be disappointed with his will who gave his all for me? Would I doubt him? Would I have unbelief? The word says he orders my steps. Do I really believe him? The first question I wrote down after the flood to keep my heart and mind focused was, do I believe my father has planned my path in love? I want to please him. And he says, all right. Trust me. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Whether you understand or not, trust me. Because that pleases the heart of God. And that means, dear ones, we have to settle it in our mind and heart. I recently wrote a book for the sake of my children and grandchildren about Things through the years. That book brought some things clearly into focus. And it underscored for me 
I want to finish well because I trust him no matter what. And that means I have to keep reminding myself of what's true, what blesses the heart of God, what honors him, what pleases him. You see, it's about him, not me. It's about his pleasure, not my convenience and my comfort and my blessing. And I have realized as I've gone through these things in these recent years that the issue of faith is not so much that I get what I want, but the issue of faith is do I trust him no matter what happens? And Hebrews 11 teaches this because there were those who trusted him who did not receive in this life that which they trusted him for. But God still put them in the hall of faith. And so without faith, it's impossible, impossible to please him. Oh, I can do church work. I could teach a Sunday school class. I could do all kinds of things in church. But does that necessarily mean I'm trusting him? What is faith? Faith is personal trust in a person. It's not just an attitude, oh, I trust him. No, it's an actual activity. In my heart, I trust him. My wife and I were preparing to come tonight. We prayed together this afternoon. For what? We're trusting him that he accomplished his will and his purpose. We've had guests into our home the last two days. We trusted him that we'd be the fragrance of Christ to those two couples. Faith is trusting him, and that pleases him, and that allows him to work and accomplish his will and his purpose and do things They're exceedingly beyond what we could ever ask or think. So it says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. But then it goes on to say, for he who draws near to God must believe that he exists. Do I believe that he exists? It's not let's pretend like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy. Do I believe that he exists? Do I believe that in this very moment I'm sitting or standing in the very presence of Almighty God? He is here. As much as he's in heaven, he's here. I'm in his presence. I must believe that he exists. That's the first part of faith. There's no doubt. There's no unbelief. And you see, God does not give us excuse for doubting and for unbelief. Nowhere in the word of God does he ever let us off the hook for doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief is sin. Faith pleases his heart. 
So if I'm going to draw near to him, I must believe that he exists. That he's actually present here and now. And I can settle that by a choice of my heart and my will. Lord, I cannot see you. I cannot touch you. I cannot smell you. But I know I am here in your presence. Now, this moment, closer than the air I I breathe, I am with you. And you are here. I was in Japan to speak to missionaries and to Japanese Christians. Their method of reaching out was they would taught, they would te- on Sunday morning, they would have classes to teach English. And they would invite Japanese to come take a class in English. And many Japanese want to learn to speak English. And so they would come to the class. And they got unbelievers present that way. They promised them they would teach them English if they would come and then stay for the worship service. And then afterwards they would serve them lunch. Curry chicken or something. And so after the service... We went to lunch, and I sat down at the table with this Japanese man who was probably about 50, 53 years old. I sat right across the table from him, and a missionary named Greg came and sat right here at the end of the table. This Japanese man had the darkest face I had ever seen. It was absolutely dark, countenance, eyes. He obviously was in deep darkness. And so he did speak fairly good English. He had worked in Washington, D.C. for something. And so I was able to speak with him some. But Greg was here in case there needed to be some kind of translation of anything. And so I said to him, do you know Jesus Christ? So I talked to him about God and about Jesus Christ, and he said, I'm an engineer. I only believe in what I can measure, what I can touch, what I can see. That's all I believe in. Okay. So we, I talked to him about how Jesus Christ could forgive him. He said, oh, I have done very terrible things very terrible things I said Jesus died on the cross for you and he can forgive no matter how terrible of things you've done he can forgive you and then I said to him can I pray for you he thought I meant would he pray to receive Christ the missionary helped him understand no that's not what he meant can he just pray for you He nodded his head. So he bowed his head. I bowed my head, and I suppose he bowed his head. And I just began to pray for him. And when I finished, he just sat there, looking down like this. 
had the strangest expression on his face. So I sat there quietly, as did the missionary. And he just sat there. And then this man who said he only believed in what he could measure, see, or touch, he looked up. And he said, when you prayed just now, I felt a warm wind blow across my heart. I do not know whether he came to Christ or not. I had to come back home. But uh, what a great kindness of the Lord that here's a man who only believed in what he could physically measure or see or hear or touch. And yet God, in his grace, by the Holy Spirit, blew across his heart so that he knew that was not of this world. We must believe that he exists. And then it says, lastly, and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. If I'm a prospector and I'm seeking for gold, gold, what's my reward? I find gold. If I'm seeking God, what's my reward? I find God. It says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. All your heart. All your heart. God has nothing to do with those that are half-hearted. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. When I was a 14-year-old boy, I attended a Baptist youth camp in Virginia up in the Shenandoah Valley. The only reason I went, it's my first time to ever be at a camp. The only reason I went, because I wanted to be with my friends from church. We were going to go have a good time. But one night a man stood up named J. Winston Pierce. I don't remember any other thing about that week. But this man kept repeating these four lines in his sermon. I did not try to memorize them, but I've never forgotten them. Because he kept repeating them. And the lines are this. Every morning, lean thine arms a while upon the windowsill of heaven. And gaze upon thy Lord. And then with the vision in thine heart, turn strong. To meet today. 
Every morning, lean thine arms a while upon the window seal of heaven and gaze upon thy Lord. And then with the vision in thy heart, turn strong to meet the day. And it was like the Lord himself tattooed that to my brain. I was not even a Christian. It'd be two years before I'd be a Christian. I've never forgotten those words. And when I became a Christian, that became the North Star of my life. And I sat about learning how to seek God privately. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I went off to a Baptist university to prepare for the ministry. But those words kept staying in my heart and kept pulling me back to that which is very, very, very crucial in a Christian walk. To spend time alone like Jesus did to gaze upon the Lord to meditate in his word to fellowship with him to get to know him I want to tell you something I wrote these words down before my vision went down so badly. My father's presence is home. Being a mere child, I need my father's presence. His presence is love, joy, and peace. Can I ever want anything more? I never dreamed as a young man how real the Lord could be, how near the Lord could be how we can thirst for God like the psalmist said as the deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you oh God my God I earnestly desire you if any man thirst if any man thirst let him come to me and drink the devil is going to do everything he can to distract you from that which the Lord Jesus knew 
was the most important thing in this earthly life. And that's intimate fellowship with the Father, whereby your heart sees him. Your heart grows in knowing him. And your life is transformed into reflecting him. In Psalm 27, verse 8, the Lord said, Seek my face. And I said, Your face, O Lord. I will seek. If I said to a friend that lived away from here, I'd sure like to see your face. I'd be saying, I want to be in your presence and enjoy communion with you. The Lord said, seek my face. And I said, your face, O oh Lord, I will seek. I found it through life, a choice. A choice that I've had to make over and over and over. And this many years later, nearing the finish line for me, I am so thankful. I did because indeed to taste the Lord in his nearness and in his presence in his realness even though he's invisible is a sweetness a pleasure that nothing of this world can ever ever provide and the wondrous thing is I have the delight of knowing it blesses his heart that I love him that much to thirst for him and seek him with all my heart and not be distracted by the things of flesh and the world and the devil. Every morning, lean that arms a while upon the window seal of heaven and gaze upon thy Lord. Then, with a vision in thy heart, turn strong to meet the day. Please, the heart of God, and be saturated with his presence. Michael. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the work of your spirit in our hearts. Lord, that you have birthed faith. You've given us the capacity to trust you. And to some extent, Lord, you've opened our spiritual eyes to see you. And we ask, oh Lord, that you would increase our capacity. That you would enhance our vision. And Lord, that you would remove all the things of earth that impair, that hinder. Father, I thank you for my brother and I thank you for your presence in his life and the way that you uh, use him and have used him tonight to speak to our hearts. And I ask, Lord, that we would leave here with a desire above anything else to please you by trusting you. Help us, Lord. And we rejoice knowing that you will. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name.